Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad we're going to have this time together. I hope your day's been going well so far. And I've got a great show lined up for you. I've been working on it all day. That's what I'm going with anyway. Rob Louie's going to be my first guest. He's coming on in just a minute. We're going to talk about everything we need to know about what's going on in the nation's capital. He's my Washington, D.C. correspondent. And Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be uh, talking about the problem of Evil. I think that's going to be an interesting discussion we're going to have, and it's probably going to end up being more than one discussion. I think he's got so much material. We're going to talk about that. And then in hour two, we're back into our series uh, on the end times with Jeff Verdorn. So that is going to be what is on the schedule for today. I'm always looking forward to spending time with you, and I'm not done gushing over what we did last week during spring share. It was, again, truly remarkable. And I'm so grateful to everyone who said, I want to be part of this. And one of the things that we all here at Faith Radio really got a kick out of is the kind of way you felt excited about the the share itself. I mean, the hours and hours of us interacting with you and, and asking you to participate didn't seem to bug you too much, which was nice, because we sometimes feel like three days of asking for funds is a little tiring, but you seem to kind of rally and really liked it. So <laughs> I hope that's true. Thank you so much for uh, all you did. And I'm going to continue to be really grateful for a while because I that's what's in my heart. And I just love that uh, so many people said, yeah, count me in. I'd love to do that. So my first guest, Rob Bluey, of course, you know him. He's uh, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. I always love catching up with Rob on Tuesdays to find out what's going on in our nation's capital. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you today. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for uh, my call last week, sending him. He was an interesting uh, interesting guy, and and uh, I hope you had a nice break. We did. We uh, we got away with the kids, which was their spring break. So it was um, nice to uh, to spend some quality family time together. Not that we we have any access <laughs> uh, to that yeah. in, in the in the COVID age, but they are going back to school a couple days a week, Bill. So we're making uh, progress. But of course, you know, a setback today, of course, with um, with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So we uh, we saw the FDA and the Biden administration, uh, you know, pull back at least temporarily. So. Uh, our, our thoughts are with those who've, uh, you know, these extremely rare circumstances where they've experienced the blood clots. But uh, mm-hmm. still, I think it leaves a lot of people uh, concerned and, um, and, uh, and and we want to get everyone vaccinated. So uh, this is uh, certainly a hiccup in that process. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of Faith Radio listeners, Rob, that are, are opting not to get vaccinated. So I just want to add some balance to the discussion. Oh sure. Well, I mean, that's isn't that the great thing about America? Yeah, you it have, really is. Uh, have, have that option, and uh, you know, I think that uh, whatever you ultimately decide, uh, that's uh, that's your personal choice. Um, there are uh, 
are some states that uh, have moved fairly aggressively to to curtail these ideas of vaccine passports or, or limitations that um, that businesses might might impose on on those who choose not to get a vaccine. And I think that uh, that that personally infringes on uh, on Americans' uh, rights, and uh, you should be uh, able to make that decision. I, I my family, we my wife and I have decided that we will get vaccinated. So I'll be honest with your with your listeners. That's the perspective that I I come from. But I know plenty of people. Uh, colleagues or friends who've uh, chosen to do the opposite. Yeah. So, um, so that's their right to do so. When you look at things like chicken pox survival rate, 99.99%, measles survival rate, 99.99%, mumps survival rate, same, 99.99%, flu survival rate, same. So, you know, as uh, the COVID is a, a pretty high, extremely high survival rate, 99.98%. So there's some people are thinking, well, survival rate's pretty good. I'm going to choose not to get a vaccine. That's right. And, uh, and we, we do know that uh, the COVID affects people, um, you know, differently based on demographics and age and everything like that. So uh, uh, that doesn't mean there aren't circumstances or situations out there where there's, uh, where there's children who are, who are suffering from COVID because there are some cases like that. But uh, by and large, it's, uh, it's, it's older Americans who've, um, who've been impacted by that. And unfortunately, uh, we've, we've lost a number of them, um, including mm-hmm. members of my family. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's wise, as we've been saying, Bill, now for over a year, uh, you know, as a year ago, we were talking about our National Coronavirus Recovery Commission at Heritage. Uh, the Heritage Foundation, and we've we've said all along that it's important for uh, these decisions to be made, uh, you know, by families, by by local governments, and and not to have a top-down approach. And that's difficult with the administration we have in Washington right now, which is uh, is big government first, and uh, and all the time it seems, and uh, and and imposing mandates and, and restrictions that, that the people might not like. But um, but I think that that's uh, where the American people are, are are often best to make their own decisions. And uh, and you're right uh, when you look at the science and the data, uh, which is uh, is what we can do now thanks to um, all the research we have at our fingertips, uh, yeah, they can make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's talk a little bit about the president's infrastructure plans. I use the infrastructure part a little loosely. Yes, a little <laughs> loosely. Five uh, percent infrastructure, ninety-five yeah. percent uh, other other yeah. uh, Democratic spending priorities. Uh, but no, it's. Uh, <laughs> that's how it works in Washington, Bill. I mean, this is um, after all we've we've gone back to uh, embracing earmarks, which are those congressionally directed uh, pork barrel projects. So uh, why not uh, uh, do the same when it comes to to things like an infrastructure bill? There are a lot of priorities that uh, that the Biden administration is loosely defining as infrastructure, um, and uh, and those are are things that have to do with education or or internet. And and you know, granted, I can see like you know maybe there's some connection there. But I, I think that really what's going on here is there's a, there's a move afoot by, by President Biden, and this has been well documented, that he had this meeting with historians who told him that they, he needed to go big um, if he wanted to, to leave a, a legacy um, as, as president um, on par with some of the people who he might consider heroes like FDR or, uh, or LBJ. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing. So after a $2 trillion um, um, stimulus bill for COVID. You know, now we're we're embarking on this uh, big push for infrastructure, and uh, what we're doing at the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal. My colleague David Ditch wrote an excellent piece for the Daily Signal, talking about uh, some of the the, the problems that uh, are are in the infrastructure bill. 
um, I think that it's uh, it's well worth pointing out that uh, there are legitimate things that the federal government should have uh, should be involved in and have a role with, and there are other things where it's best uh, for them to stay out. And and one of those, by the way, I think is uh, education. Uh, we've already seen this administration really expand its uh, its, its heavy-handed um, uh, uh, you know uh, role when it comes to. Um, trying to take more control, assert more control over local school districts. And I think those decisions are, are left better left made um, at the local level. Mm-hmm. So what about the, uh, the SCOTUS Commission that is now investigating the possibility of expanding the courts? Yes, uh, that is the, uh, uh, late-breaking news um, that, uh, that we were dealing with uh, last week. And, and, Bill, I have to tell you, it's, it's of great concern how this was framed. Uh, because, as we know from how our country uh, was set up by our founders, uh, they envisioned three branches of government. And, and here it's quite clear to me that you have the executive branch, which is trying to, to railroad the uh, judicial branch into doing something that I think would be unwise. And when you have even two of the uh, the most liberal justices of, of our generation, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away last year, and Stephen Breyer, who just recently came out and was opposed to expanding the size of the Supreme Court, both of them uh, opposed to this idea. I think that it should be a warning sign uh, for those in the Biden administration that this is the wrong path to go down. Now, you could say that the Biden administration is just following through on a campaign promise that he would set up this commission to study the the court. Um, But I think that there's probably more afoot here. I think that this is really a long-term desire uh, to change one of the institutions in our country and politicize it in a way that will have uh, long-lasting ramifications. Uh, We should not expand the size of the court. Uh, That would be a mistake. Um, I realize that there are some people who are still angry that President Trump was able to fill three seats in his four years. Uh, that was an unusually high number for uh, a president who served one term. But uh, let's face it, there will be other vacancies in the future, and uh, presidents um, you know, are afforded that opportunity as, as part of our Constitution, and we should not go about uh, changing the Constitution so quickly. Uh, but I think this is a pattern that you're beginning to see, Bill. I mean, look at the uh, effort to make D.C. a state. Uh, mm-hmm. Not by a constitutional amendment, which is the proper way to do so, but just by Congress deciding that it should should take this action, regardless of the twenty third amendment, and uh, and and uh, you know other other things that are are into under discussion. So um, the best we can do is to try to to bring rational minds together, uh, talk to people like Joe Manchin and and Kristen Cinema, and hopefully. Um, uh, have them stand in the way and not cast that uh, that fifty first vote uh, in favor of this. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the idea of limiting the term on the Supreme Court to twenty four years? Well, that's another idea that you've seen uh, seen thrown out. I mean, I I I, <laughs> I, I think that you know um, personally, I'm I'm not in favor of it. Uh, I, I I would say that that's a better idea <laughs> than than expanding the size of the court. Um, and there are those who um, who serve lifetime appointments and, and are, should be able to do so um, uh, regardless of kind of the political environment that, that we live in. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it, I don't know how exactly it would play out. I mean, do you grandfather in the people who are currently serving on the court and then impose this for, for new nominations? I mean, that would be certainly be one way to, to consider it. Um, there are a lot of things that I think people are frustrated with. Um, you know, they, they want more access to the court. They'd like the, 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 um, the proceedings to be televised, for instance. And I think that that would also have a dramatic change in the court. And you might have a situation where people are, are talking to the cameras rather than the justices. So 
frankly, I think that the court at the end of the day does a, does a fairly good job of deciding these matters. We may not agree with all of their decisions, but we shouldn't be so quick and rash to, uh, to going about changing things that have worked well uh, for, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Rob, I have so much to talk to you about today. There's so much on the table right now. Rob Bluey is my guest, so we're going to take a very short break. We'll come back. Lots more with the executive editor of The Daily Signal, Mr. Rob Bluey, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. Be right back. with Mr. Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. I'm going to make him work harder than he's ever worked today because I've got so much I want to ask him. Rob, let's pick up with the uh, President Biden's unity agenda. How's that coming along? <laughs> well, it, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. I, I suppose. mean, it's, uh, he, he seems that he's unified uh, people on, on the left side of the aisle, but not necessarily uh, uh, that idea of bipartisanship and bringing people together isn't, uh, isn't panning out as, as well as uh, he may have hoped. Mm-hmm. A couple of the, the, the major pieces of legislation that have made their way through, you know, have received zero Republican votes. And I think Biden himself is trying to redefine now what it means uh, to be bipartisan. And, uh, you know, that is, I think, a, a, a testament to not only the, the situation he finds himself in and the, and the struggle that um, he faces on his, his left flank, because there are, are a lot of people who just don't have any interest or desire to do that, uh, but also, I think that, uh, you know, he is, uh, as I mentioned in the earlier segment, he is trying to cast himself as, um, as, as a big government liberal, uh, somebody who, you know, we have to harken back, you know, probably the 1960s to find uh, somebody who was as, uh, you know, as ambitious as he is in terms of some of the policy agenda that he wants to pursue. And there's just going to be very few Republicans or conservatives who want to engage with him on that. Um, now, the infrastructure bill was an interesting choice for him to uh, to move to next, because that's an area where traditionally you would be able to pick off some Republican support. But I think that uh, the, the way that they framed it and the fact that so so little actually has to do with what we would traditionally define as infrastructure, you know, that's uh, that's uh, got a lot of people suspicious. Um, but uh, but, Bill, I, I think for the sake of our country, uh, we we need to hope that this is the case. And we also need to hope that the Democrats and the Senate back off this quest to change the filibuster and try to uh, manipulate the Senate rules in ways that, uh, that, that, you know, have existed for a long time to encourage uh, bipartisanship, to encourage compromise, to encourage people coming together and working out issues. Uh, one of uh, Wall Street Journal had a great piece talking about the Civil Rights Act um, and how it wouldn't have been possible without the filibuster. What the Civil Rights Act, uh, the Civil Rights Act was filibustered, but what it did was it ended up being accept- widely accepted almost immediately after it was enacted by uh, southern states, in part because lawmakers on both sides of the aisle at the time, it was Democrats, by the way, who were opposing the Civil Rights Act. Um, they were able to, to make their arguments and have an opportunity to do so. And what, right now in Washington, it seems like we just want to shut down people. Uh, we've embraced cancel culture. They don't want to give anybody an opportunity to uh, debate or, or share their opinion. And I think that that's unfortunate for our country. And so if uh, this unity agenda is going to work, we need to at least be open-minded to having conversations with uh, people on the other side. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the border. What is what is the update, the latest update there? 
Yes. Well, uh, not 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 good news at all. Um, this uh, this border crisis uh, that's really um, been exacerbated under under President Biden's leadership uh, is not getting any better. And in fact, uh, the experts predict it'll it'll continue to get worse, uh, particularly in the spring season when more and more people try to cross the border. Uh, hearing the stories of the, um, the the unaccompanied children bill is is really uh, really sad because they are tr- they're being sent by their parents. They they're trying to uh, search for a better life here in the United States and uh, making a very difficult journey and trek across Mexico and and oftentimes finding themselves in a situation that um, uh, isn't great here in this country. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of news that, that came out in recent days was the Biden administration is actually asking people across the federal government if they will volunteer, take a leave of absence from their job uh, because the crisis is so bad that they need more uh, hands on the, you know, on the situation and more feet on the ground uh, at these uh, at these places that are taking care of the young children, mm-hmm. the, the children and teenagers, because they simply don't have the capacity to do so. They can't, in fact, get them out of the border uh, patrol. Uh, stations fast enough because uh, there's a certain time limit they're supposed to move the the children out and uh, and there's just no place to put them they're over capacity and uh, and I think that that uh, just goes to show the situation and and what we uh, we what we're facing um, I don't think it helps that New York and other states are proposing things like uh, you know making cash payments. Um, uh, the Biden administration's floated this idea of actually paying the Latin American countries, uh, you know, to keep more people there. Uh, and <laughs> I just don't think these solutions are going to work. I think that uh, you may have disagreed with President Trump on some things, but I think some of the policies that he put in place, including building the wall, were actually deterrents for people from coming. And when they saw that there was going to be a change in the administration, people started flooding the border, and now we can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. I've been very interested to get your take on what Major League Baseball did, and I look at what corporations like Delta and Coke, the influence they've had, and how the left has kind of infiltrated corporate America, and what 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 can we do about it? Yeah, it's I mean the the fact that these um, these corporate CEOs were all on a on a conference call together, plotting different ways that they could you know take actions collectively as a group. Uh, it's very concerning. I think that the American people. Uh, need to be paying close attention. For a long time, we saw government as as a threat. Uh, now we have to look at uh, some of these corporations. And look, there are things that we can do. I mean, we can we have purchasing power, and mm-hmm. we can do things in our own lives in terms of where we decide to spend our money. And I think if as we see some of these corporations engaging in activity that we disagree with, or maybe against our political beliefs or our religious beliefs. Because trust me, <laughs> it might be politics on the for- forefront, uh, but religion's going to come soon. Soon after, Bill, I, I truly believe that um, we need to be we need to wake up and, and pay close attention. We need to let them know that we don't want them to take these these types of stances on on these issues, and uh, and that they should stay out of politics. I thought Brett Favre said it best when when he uh, cautioned um, you know the sports leagues to stay out of this, stay out of the politics. You know, let's just focus on. And what we do best, and that is, uh, you know, that is sports and entertainment and, and focus on the athletes. Um, but I, I, unfortunately, I think that uh, there are some who are just uh, too far down the road where they're not going to be able to turn back. And, uh, and I think what Major League Baseball did in Atlanta by moving the, the All-Star game from 
uh, a city that has a strong black population in Atlanta to um, an overwhelmingly uh, non-black population in um, in Denver, uh, you know, speaks to an issue that uh, that a lot of people in Atlanta are now pointing to. This was uh, an Ill, this was an ill-sighted, you know. Um, ill-fated move that uh, Major League Baseball shouldn't have done. Yeah, maybe it, they, they were responding to some of the woke critics at the time, but they ended up hurting uh, a population there in Atlanta that uh, is now going to lose out on over $100 million in, in money that would have been generated from the game. So it's, um, it's short-sighted on the part of uh, many of these, these organizations, and I think we can only hope that uh, consumers uh, speak up, make their voice heard, and, and let them know. And as a long-suffering Pittsburgh Pirates fan, you better believe that I, 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 I'm not watching many games these days simply because right. I can't stomach it and I, 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 for a whole host of other reasons. <laughs> well, how is it going to affect the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, Here's the here's the situation where I think corporations probably should be speaking out, but are are, are afraid to because of the influence that China holds over them, and and that is uh, is what we can do about uh, the Olympics. I don't think that the, it, we should boycott the Olympics. I think that our athletes have have trained uh, you know a long time for these games, but we can put pressure on the Chinese government. We can uh, put pressure on other. Uh, foreign governments, including our own here in the United States, to to move the games to a different location. And I think that that's ultimately what should happen. Uh, And I'm talking specifically about China's human rights abuses here. And the religious persecution of the Uyghur Muslims um, in in China has been well documented as much as the Chinese want to ignore it and uh, and avoid talking about it. I, I don't think that we can do that anymore. And uh, we need to stand united, and the Olympics are a way to, to take an action like that, Bill. I, I hope that um, we'll be hearing more from, from individuals like that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not counting on some, some organizations to do so. The, you saw how the NBA, uh, the National Basketball Association, caved when one of the general managers of the Houston Rockets uh, spoke out um, about some of the things that were taking place in China and the, the backlash um, that, he, that he suffered. But, uh, but I think that it's in all of our best interest to get those Olympics out of Beijing. Mm-hmm. A lot of excitement in Minnesota this week. I'm sorry to report. It's very unfortunate what's going on. What is your uh, take on that, some of the, the well, new rioting? The- yeah, and, and keeping a, a, a lot of you locally in our in our prayers, Bill, um, that everybody stays safe. I mean, we never like to see uh, it devolve into to riots and, mm-hmm. and violence. I can understand the frustration on a lot of people's minds. I mean, I I personally don't understand, you know, how how somebody makes a mistake between a you know a gun and a taser. I, I suppose mm. in in the moment, you know, um, you know, accidents do happen. But in this case, it was a tragic accident that led to the loss of, uh, of, of a young man's life. Mm-hmm. And so our, our prayers are, are with his family, too. And, and I think that, um, you, know, uh, you know, even going back almost a year to, to the other incidents like George Floyd and, and others that, uh, that really brought this country, to, you know, brought things to this country's attention, uh, yes, there, there can be steps that we need to take with policing, but it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't mean that we should be looting stores and we should be resorting to violence and damaging other, other people's property. Um, I don't think that that solves anything. I, I think that um, you know, taking a, a lesson from, um, from, from Jesus um, here is, uh, is an opportunity for us to sit back and reflect 
And then one story we didn't get to today, but it's been about my mind the last couple of weeks, is just the decline in church participation. And mm-hmm. I think that if, if more people were, were attending um, you know, church services and belonged to an organized religion or, or believed in, in God, I mean, I, I sometimes think that these situations might not spiral out of control as we're seeing happen in Minneapolis. And I can only hope that uh, our prayers are answered and that things, um, things return to, to normal and calm down there. I agree. Rob Bluey, every time I get done talking to you, I feel taller and better looking. Well, thank you. (laughs) It's good to be back with you. I I enjoyed our conversation today. Have a great uh, day. Take care. Rob Blue has been my guest executive editor at The Daily Signal. After a short break, Dr. Greg Borgon will be in studio. We're going to talk about the problem of evil. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So glad to have back in the studio Dr. Greg Borgond, and it seems that there is a problem with the existence of evil we're going to talk about, and I asked him to discuss that with uh, you today, and he said, this might be a two-parter, <laughs> which makes me nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So let's, uh, this is a difficult topic. I just pray the Holy Spirit will lead through this discussion, and I don't like talking about evil. No, I don't think anyone likes it. talking about it. Nobody likes to witness it either. No, that's for sure. There's plenty of it around that we see in current events and everything else around the world. Well, let me go ahead and uh, start with uh, just a couple of scriptures related to our topic today. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, we read, Woe to those who call evil good mm-hmm. and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter, because evil is being redefined today. And then we go to Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, you know, Bill, current events here and, of course, around the world raise in us the need to understand why these terrible circumstances are happening in in an ever-increasing frequency Mm -hmm. and intensity, for that matter. How do we make sense of the evil played out in bold relief in front of us? Are humans predisposed to destroying themselves? One thing we've proven... Short answer, yes. (laughs) One (laughs) thing we've proven is humankind is incapable of managing themselves apart from God. Mm -hmm, That's true. So this growing pervasiveness of evil at home and abroad begs the following relevant questions. One, what is the definition of evil? We have to redefine it today because all of our words seem to be redefined today. So we need to be clear on what we mean by evil. Did God create evil? Does evil exist apart from the human soul? Are these all questions we're going to be answering? Yes. Oh, good. (laughs) I was going to leave them to you, Bill. I'm not letting you off the hook. (laughs) Why does God allow evil? What is the biblical solution to the problem of evil? Is evil a virus that kind of hangs in the air or must be embodied to exist? Hmm. Is evil increasing in the world? Is evil expanding? Are the depths of depravity reaching new lows today? Are we seeing new expressions of depravity than we have seen in the past? 
Is the enemy upping his game? Is he intensifying his influence? Now, I'm simply going to offer uh, my limited perspective at this point. So, evil does not exist apart from its symbiotic relationship with sin. Hmm. So, freedom of choice existed before humans. The angels had freedom of choice. The exercise of choice or free will has consequences, and evil is one of those choices with attending consequences. Mm -hmm. So let's deal with the first question Um, with the definition of evil. What is evil? In its simple form, evil is the absence of good. Evil is that which is morally wrong, it's sinful or wicked, in accordance with God's standard of holiness. When you compare our activity against his holiness, then it becomes apparent what evil is. Evil, more generally, can also refer to anything that causes harm, with or without the moral dimension. For example, any disaster or tragedy or calamity can be called evil. From a biblical perspective, anything that contradicts the holy nature of God is evil, according to Psalm 51.4. Such evil includes sin committed against other people, like murder, theft, or adultery, and even evil committed against God, such as unbelief or idolatry or blasphemy. So moral evil is not a physical thing. It is the lack or privation of a good thing. It takes some thought to, to grasp that with it your does. mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm a slow processor, so... <laughs> the Christian philosopher J.P. Moreland said... Evil is a lack of goodness. It is goodness spoiled. Mm. You can have good without evil, but you cannot have evil without good. The Christian apologist Greg Cole declares human freedom was, uh, was used in such a way as to diminish goodness in the world. And that diminution, uh, <laughs> here we go, that reduction. <laughs> I like it. Uh, that lack of goodness, that is what we call evil. So evil is something that we can define as existing. It does exist. Mm-hmm. So the bigger question right now is, did God create evil? Some suggest if God created all things, then he, he must have created evil. One of God's greatest gifts to humanity is the gift of free will. If we are free to exercise our free will, then we can also choose evil. As one biblical expert put it, In order to have a real choice, God had to allow there to be something besides good to choose. So God allowed these free angels and humans to choose good or reject good, which is evil. When a bad relationship exists between two good things, we call that evil. But it does not become a thing that that required God to create it. If God had not allowed for the possibility of evil... Both mankind and angels would be serving God out of obligation, not Mm -hmm. choice. He did not want robots that simply did what he wanted them to do because of their programming. God allowed for the possibility of evil so that we could genuinely have a free will and choose whether or not we wanted to serve him. Mm -hmm. So God did not create evil, but he does allow evil a consequence of not choosing good. So our appreciation of goodness can only be fully appreciated when it's contrasted with evil. The exercise of free will to be truly free must offer the choice of evil. 
or free will is not free will at all. Similarly, when we when love is coerced, when there is no other option but to love, then the meaning and expression of love is, well, meaningless. Mm-hmm. The very act of the exercise of free will must also present the possibility of choosing evil rather than good. We are free to choose a given action, but not its consequences. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's a lot. When you are outside of God's family, you, you, the, the Satan, the enemy, has taken you captive to do his will. Absolutely. So you, can you even do good at that point? Because well, you're a slave to sin. Well, you're, st- you're a slave to sin, Bill, but you still have been created in the image of God, okay. which flares up every now and then underneath the ashes of the influence of the enemy, the world, sure. or our flesh. Sure. And so it's possible to do something really despicable one day and, and honorable the next, because that image doesn't remain buried. It may have been damped down to an ember, instead of a fire. Yeah. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's like a big wind that blows across that ember and that image flares up again and overwhelms anything else in its place. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the next question. Why does God allow evil then? Great question. Partly because of the answer to the previous question, but let's dig a little deeper. Since God is holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing, and sovereign, He's certainly capable of preventing evil. Three ways of doing so have been proposed. Way number one, God could change everyone's personality so they cannot sin. This would also mean that we would not have a free will, though. We would not be able to choose right or wrong because we would be programmed to only do right. Had God chosen to do this, there would be no meaningful relationship between him and his creation. Now, when we go to heaven and evil is removed, we can still make choices, but we're no longer encumbered by the sinful nature Mm -hmm. or our carnal nature. Mm -hmm. Number two, here's another way God could have uh, acted. God could compensate for people's evil actions through supernatural intervention 100% of the time. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. One writer on the subject offered several examples. For instance, God would stop a drunk driver from causing an automobile accident. Mm -hmm. God would stop a lazy construction worker from doing a a substandard job, let's say, on a house that would later cause grief for the homeowners. God would stop a father who is addicted to drugs or alcohol from doing any harm to his wife, his children, or extended family. God would stop gunmen from robbing convenience stores or killing people. Mm -hmm. God would stop high school bullies from tormenting others. God would stop thieves from shoplifting or looting. God would stop terrorists from flying airplanes into buildings. Now, that sounds attractive. Very. However, while this solution sounds attractive, it would lose its attractiveness as soon as God's intervention infringed on something we wanted to do. We want God to prevent horrible evil actions, but we're... But are we willing? We are. Um, but we are willing to let lesser evil actions slide, not realizing that those lesser evil actions are what usually lead to the greater evil actions. Let me give you some examples, Bill. Should God only stop actual sexual affairs, or should He also block our access to pornography, or end any inappropriate but not yet sexual relationship? Should God stop true believers? Or um, uh, should 
he also stop us from cheating? Or, excuse me, should God stop true thieves, or should he also stop us from cheating on our taxes? Should God only stop murder, or should he also stop the lesser evil actions done to people that lead them to commit murder? Or finally, should God only stop acts of terrorism, or should he also stop the indoctrination that transformed a person into a terrorist? So all of a sudden, the line between the two becomes blurred. Mm -hmm. We'd love God to take care of those terribly evil acts, but when they get closer to home and... All of a sudden, we're standing on our individuality and want to make decisions on our own. And frankly, we're asking for a pass on those lesser evils. Well, here's the third thing he could have done. Another choice would be for God to judge and remove those who choose to commit evil acts. Now, that's in in light of everything that's taking place today, that's probably the one that everyone would vote for right now. Mm -hmm. Would God... Uh, would uh, God ju- uh, to judge to remove those who choose to commit evil acts? The problem with this possibility is that there'd be no one left. <laughs> For God would have to remove us all. We all sin and commit evil acts, according to Romans 3.23 and other passages. While some people are more evil than others, where would God draw the line? Good question. Ultimately, all evil causes harm to others. So, in response to those three alternative options, which have an attractiveness on the surface, but as we dig into them a little further, we find out they they just don't hold water. God desires our obedience, according to Deuteronomy 5.29. Obedience is an act of free will. We can choose to obey or disobey, but it's still our choice. What a great gift he's given us. Mm -hmm. Choices have consequences for us and others within our sphere of influence. There is no victimless sin, by the way. What we do in private can and will affect how we behave in public. Hidden sin distorts our perceptions, changes our demeanor, and affects our interactions with others. Mm -hmm. We think it's hidden. We think no one knows. But all of a sudden, our personality change or the way in which we respond to somebody, we might have a shorter temper. It's going to find its way out of the subconscious into the conscious and ultimately into our behavior. So we can't hide from it. There's no victimless sin. So let's look at the next question. Does evil exist apart from the human soul? Now there's an intriguing question. Is it a virus that, that, that hangs in the air or, or must it be embodied uh, to exist? You can't put evil in a jar. It's not a cloud passing over you that exposes you to a sickness. It's not something you catch, but something you inherit. Mm. Evil is not a thing. As one commentator puts it, evil has no existence of its own. It is really the absence of good. It is the absence of something else. Let me give you some examples. Holes are real, but they only exist in something else. We call the absence of dirt a hole that cannot be separated from the dirt. Cold does not exist. It is the absence of heat. Mm -hmm. Darkness does not exist. It's the absence of light. So pressing these contrasts a bit further, sweetness cannot be fully appreciated apart from bitterness. Order can't be fully appreciated apart from chaos. 
Beauty cannot be fully appreciated apart from ugliness. Mm -hmm. So, in my understanding of Scripture and theology, evil does not exist apart from a host-created being, including angels. So we'll pick that up in a few minutes. Awesome. My guest is Dr. Greg Borgon. You can go to heartofawarrior.org. Learn more about Greg. We're talking about the existence of evil. This is not um, an easy topic, but he's doing a great job. We'll be right back. I'm back with Dr. Greg Borgon. We're talking about the existence of evil. A couple of uh, messages came in. When Here's one, Greg. When we talk about free will, would it be correct to say that we have free within our nature, meaning that we cannot choose good since none of us are good according to the Bible? We can make good choices, but it's always conditioned and informed and established by our nature. Prior to coming to Jesus Christ, there's nothing we can do apart from acting out of that sinful nature. When we come to Christ, it says that nature is replaced with a new nature, but we still have to renew our mind daily. So we're still subject to the habits and patterns we built up prior to us coming to Christ. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I mean, it's just like it says in Scripture, now we see darkly, then we'll see clearly uh, when we're in heaven. So when Satan, Lucifer, fell, I guess he dragged about, what, a third of the angels with him? Yes, he did. Hmm. Yes, he did. So, you know, again, in my understanding of theology, evil doesn't exist apart from a host uh, created being. As you just mentioned, one third of the angels fell with Lucifer when he challenged the authority of God. Adam and Eve had free will in the garden, the exercise of which resulted in the expulsion from the garden in shame. So you could, in, in essence, you could be surrounded with everything of beauty, everything you could possibly need. And because of this tremendous gift of free will, you can choose something evil or ugly even in the midst of that beauty. So they are the progenitors, that is Satan and the fallen angels, as well as Adam and Eve, of original sin that every human being inherited. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in our DNA, mm-hmm. a predisposition to live our lives independently from God and as standard for morality. Can I ask a quick question? Isn't shame something we should feel at times? Guilt is probably the better term for it. Uh, shame, God doesn't shame us to the point uh, where we're absolutely embarrassed. Certainly guilt can embarrass us. I get that, but isn't shame something that we should from time to time feel? Uh, if we do something shameful? Oh, absolutely. I okay, mean, it's, it's part of an emotion. We yeah. have those emotions in us. And um, we can all think of instances when we felt terrible shame. Yeah, okay. And it kind of hangs with us for a long time, mm-hmm. sometimes for the rest of our life. There just seems to be very little shame nowadays in the world. Yeah, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. So human sin and humans have a potential of great good and jaw-dropping evil. Evil is not a virus but a part of our spiritual DNA, as in fact that we were created in the image of God, bearing in our person the character of God with his communicable attributes. J.I. Packer clarifies what's meant by the image of God, and it bears on our topic today. When God made man, he communicated to him qualities corresponding to his moral attributes. 
This is what the Bible means when it tells us that God made man, meaning both man and woman, in his own image, namely that God made man and woman a free spiritual being, a responsible moral agent with powers of choice and action, able to commune with him and respond to him, and by nature good, truthful, holy, upright, in a word, godly. The moral qualities which belong to the divine image were lost at the fall. God's image in man has been universally defaced. For all mankind has in one way or another lapsed into ungodliness. But the Bible tells us that now, and here's our hope, Bill, in the fulfillment of his plan of redemption, God is at work in Christian believers to repair his ruined image by communicating these qualities to them afresh. This is what Scripture means when it says that Christians are being renewed in the image of Christ and of God. Mm -hmm. So, let's go to the next question. Is evil increasing in the world? If somebody were to ask you that question, how would you respond, Bill? Uh, I don't know. My tendency would think that there's more evil than there's ever been, but I'm not sure that's the right answer. Well, given the fact that sin and evil demands a host, when we just established that yeah. premise, then it stands to reason that as the population of humanity grows, so does the expanse of evil. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's the right answer. <laughs> Some scholars suggest that the destruction of the Tower of Babel, for instance, was in part due to the prospect of evil, sin, accelerating when concentrated in one place. Mm-hmm. Much uh, like sound traveling further and faster in water than it does in air because the molecules are closer. That's why you can detect, and that was part of my expertise in the Navy, I was anti-submarine warfare where sound could travel that you could emit from your ship over 100 miles through what was called a convergence zone, where if that same sound was emanated above the water, it wouldn't travel very far at all because the water is dense, the molecules are close, and it travels further. So... GodQuestions.org describes the situation beautifully, I think. The Tower of Babel is described in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. After the flood, God commanded humanity to increase in number and fill the earth, according to Genesis 9, 1. Humanity decided to do exactly the opposite. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Humanity decided to build a great city and all congregate there. Mm -hmm. They decided to build a gigantic tower as a symbol of their power to make a name for themselves, according to Genesis 11.4. This tower is remembered as the Tower of Babel. So in response, God confused the languages of humanity so they could no longer communicate with each other, according to Genesis 11.7. The result was that people congregated with other people who spoke the same language and then went together and settled in other parts of the world. So God confused the languages of the Tower of Babel to enforce his command for humanity to spread throughout the entire world. Now let's look at it from a different aspect. The flood preceded the events and suggests that when humanity is concentrated in one place, sin is rampant. Take, for instance, our large cities where we have pressed against each other, Mm -hmm. in some cases, several million people. So when you, and if the evil must have a created host in order to express itself, when you have that kind of humanity jammed in a very small space, relatively speaking, then you can expect evil 
to burst out in all kinds of ways, which may not be exactly true of rural areas. It doesn't mean people living in rural areas aren't uh, suffering under evil, because mm-hmm. we've heard of some horrendous acts even done in rural places. But they're rarer than they are in concentrated places like cities. Mm-hmm. So, um, in, in essence, then, uh, after the flood, and, and, and as God saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that everything imagination of thoughts of his heart were evil continually according to Genesis 6 5 accordingly men are wicked and their hearts imagine evil when it says and now nothing will be strained from then which they have imagined to do simply means that man would continually come together in a disobedience and rebellion without restraint of wickedness when sin goes unabated its shrill voice grows louder yeah great point so, Greg, we're kind of running out of time here, and I want to continue this discussion on the existence of evil because I think it's a, a big one. Maybe you can come back next time. We can continue this. Sure. I was even thinking about how even when you're acting out of goodness, how it can also have a hint of evil in it. Let's say, for example, I do this wonderful act of service because ultimately I want to be uh, seen as a good guy. Maybe people will use my business or give me an award, and there's something a little Mm, a little evil about that, right? Yeah, well, absolutely, because here's what the Scripture actually says. God judges the motives of men's hearts. Exactly. So you can do something that is honorable and people applaud, and on the surface it it produces a good result, mm-hmm. and, and you're honored for it. But your motive be, would be just as you just described. I want to increase my reputation. I want to gain an in here. I want to go ahead and have more power. Yeah. And, and a, so God judges the motives of the heart, not the result. Yeah. Greg, this is a good start. I appreciate this. And let's continue this discussion uh, next time we're together. I'm looking forward to it. Thank though. you so much. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. When we come back, we've got uh, installment number four <laughs> on our study of end times with Jeff Dorn. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.